The following was recorded live as part of Homeschool.com's 2005 Homeschooling Teleconference. To order additional recordings, visit www.homeschool.com or send an email to orders at homeschool.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Homeschool.com's 2005 Homeschooling Teleconference. Our first interview this morning is with Christine Field, and we're going to be talking about homeschooling the different learner. Christine practiced law for eight years before becoming a full-time mom. She and her husband live and homeschool their four children in Wheaton, Illinois, where her husband serves as chief of police. Three of their four children are adopted, one through a private adoption, and two are from Korea. They are also foster parents. Christine is the author of several books including Coming Home to Raise Your Children, Should You Adopt, A Field Guide to Homeschooling, Life Skills for Kids, Help for the Harried Homeschooler, and her newest book, just released in 2005, is called Homeschooling the Challenging Child. So um, thank you very much, Christine, for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure, and this is quite a marathon, isn't it? My goodness. Yes, it is. In fact, we're thinking we're going to have some more in the fall, and we're going to have some more in January. But it's nice having a marathon right before we all get back to school, mm-hmm. kind of get uh, pumped up and organized and educated for the coming year. Isn't that the truth? I mean, even if you're new and you're excited, you can always use some new ideas. And if you're older, like uh, some of us are, sometimes you need a little shot in the arm, don't you? So this is a great service you're doing here, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Oh, gosh, it's our very great pleasure. And I think we will sprinkle them throughout the year, too, because sometimes when you start homeschooling, you can feel a little isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be a little tough being different in the beginning. And it's nice to know that you're not alone, that there's a whole community out there. And there are more homeschoolers in the country now than there are Catholic school students. Oh, my goodness. I know. Oh. So the number's just growing like crazy, the fastest-growing uh, trend in education today. Wonderful. Where, now, did you read that from somewhere, uh, some of Brian Ray's research? No, or? I saw that in Time Magazine, and it appeared to be uh, pretty thoroughly researched. Oh. And they were taking, the, they combined numbers for uh, people who identified themselves as homeschoolers, also those who signed up as private schools within the states that have that, uh-huh. and also those who signed up as independent study students through their school district. Oh, that is amazing. So I thought that looked like a pretty good number. That puts us over um, 2 million. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. kind of which kind of fits, too, with our own demographics, since homeschool.com has over 2 million visitors a year. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, so you know that there has to be a pretty big pool. It's quite a, quite a hobby for you, isn't it, Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> it really is a labor of love. I, I feel like I've found my path, and I just thoroughly enjoy it. I understand completely. Well, Christine, so today our topic is uh, homeschooling the different learner. Yeah, do you so, have any of those? I have three of those, including <laughs> myself and my husband. That makes five. So you're all different, right? Yes, we are. Yes. So well, let's talk about what makes a child a different learner. This is kind of um, the topic is taken from my newest book, Homeschooling the Challenging Child. And uh, sometimes what makes a child is a challenge is that they are just different from us. It's not anything bad. It's not anything good. They may have different uh, levels of ability in terms of their learning. They may have a different uh, personality configuration than we do, which makes it hard for us to communicate with them and motivate them. Uh, they may have a different learning style from ours. Um, I was raised in a Catholic school, and, uh, you know, you would watch the board and listen to the nun, and that's how you learned. And <laughs> if you had any other way of learning, you were just out of luck. Um, they may have difference in their ability to pay attention. 
or they may respond differently to discipline. One child will respond to discipline in one way, another another child that will be totally ineffective in. So uh, not only are children different from us, the way we were raised, the way we were taught, but they're also so different from one another. Um, I often joke because uh, we have four kids and three of them are adopted. They each have different fathers, but they each have different mothers. They each have different personalities, and we are just all so different. And I think God delights in the differences. But sometimes we have to step back and figure out how to manage them and, and motivate them. Well, in fact, that is so true because I have three children with the same father and mother, and they're completely different. <laughs> and you know how it is when you're raising your children, too, like the first child, you figure out what's working with the two-year-old, and you think, oh, this works with, it's going to work with all my subsequent children, and then it doesn't. Yeah, and you kind of get, you kind of get a little confidence, and I, and I think, <laughs> I think that's how the Lord keeps us on our knees, is that, uh, um, that, that he'll, he'll, we'll, we'll have one or two kids and we'll think, oh my goodness, I've kind of got a handle on this parenting thing. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And you find out it doesn't work the same with every child. Yeah, and then it'll send us one to just totally put us on our knees saying, oh Lord, how do I, how do I motivate this one? What, this one is so different. What do I do to help them? And so, you raise your children the same way and then they have completely different personalities. Right. And so, so a different child may, may not be a child who, who has a, you know, a problem in quote unquote. They just might might be different, and we have to learn different strategies for dealing with them. However, sometimes a different child is a child who has, quote-unquote, a problem, such as a learning ability problem or an attention problem, and we have to educate ourselves in how to help them. So uh, it was both of those groups of children, those children who are just different and those children who, who really do have some different issues uh, that, that I was seeking to address in this book. Well, let's talk, please. In what ways are learners different? Well, um, I think if you want to talk about pure um, learning disability, you know, think for a second about how we learn. There's, there's several stages to this. There's the input stage, and that input can be, you know, visual input or auditory input, uh, um, and, and traditionally that's how knowledge is input into children, is visually or auditorily. And then after the knowledge is inputted, and this sounds like such a, a factory definition here, but once the input stage is passed, then there's integration. The child's brain has to take the knowledge or the concept and make sense of it. And after they've integrated it, they have to put it into memory. That can be short-term memory or long-term memory. And there can be retrieval issues from memory. They can have trouble putting it into memory, remembering it, or they can have trouble getting it out. And then finally, the, the, the fourth step of learning is the output stage where um, children can speak or write or somehow do a project to demonstrate what they've learned. And if a child has a learning difference or a learning disability, there's going to be something hanging them up at one of these points. Uh, if it's a matter of perception, let's say, um, uh, in the input stage, that means that they might not be able to see differences in letters. You know, children who say who write B for D and and P for Q, uh, or they might not be able to hear differences in sounds. So that could be a matter of perception. Um, in the integration stage, very often it's that children can read. They might be champion phonetic readers, but they don't understand what they're reading. Um, at the memory stage. That's pretty obvious. They can't remember spelling. They can't remember how words are spelled, either because they don't have a visual memory or an auditory memory, or they can't remember their math facts, which is very common. 
And finally, um, at the output stage, if a child has uh, some kind of a glitch there, they either can't formulate a spoken answer to a question, or maybe they can't write down their thoughts or answers for a variety of reasons. Maybe they can't spell, maybe they can't formulate a sentence, uh, maybe they can't figure out how to structure a sentence. Um, so these are there are all, all the different ways and all the different um, potential for learning to get hung up. If you think about it, it's such a complex process, the process of learning. And, and as such, because it is complex, there's a there's such an opportunity for things to get uh, uh, hung up or to encounter glitches that uh, very often sometimes our, uh, our children may have a true learning disability if uh, they're having a problem in one of these areas that's long-standing, or it might just be a learning uh, um, developmental issue that you have to wait for them to outgrow it. And it takes a lot of, it takes knowledge and patience and observation to figure out which one it is. Of course, that's the advantage with homeschooling, isn't it? That we can tailor make our education to fit our child's readiness and their learning style and their needs. Oh, I agree. You know, I think that the, the, the whole, the whole thing about figuring out, you know, why your child is a different learner or why you're having challenges, it starts with that observation. You know, how often do we, do we slow down on our agendas and just watch our kids? You know, watch the way they interact with the world and watch the way they interact with books and, and pencils and paper and interact with each other and really try to, to detach ourselves as emotionally as much as possible to just see what's going on so we can see their ways of relating or we can see where their glitches are and then we'll know how to help them. How can we deal with these differences? How can we help them? Oh, there's lots and lots of strategies. Um, if you if a child has um, a true learning disability, um, I guess I should answer that part first. How do you find out? How do you find that out? There's a couple different strategies you can consult, like an educational psychologist, on a private basis, and they can um, put them through a battery of testing. Or under federal law, you could go to your local public school and say, hey, I see these things going on in my child. I don't know what it is, and I'm going to ask for an evaluation. Um, there are some people who um, say any kind of involvement in the public school system with a homeschool child should be, should, just should not be done. We should not at all be knocking at the doors of the public school. Uh, and uh, and I have very mixed feelings about that because there are some people who would never get help if it weren't for that. Um, so so and, or some people who might not have funds for a private evaluation who would have to go knocking at the door of the public school to obtain one. So um, th those are the two way two of the ways that you can find out uh, what's going on with your child. There are also a few um, private practitioners. Um, who can do assessments of your child. Sometimes they're just pen and paper assessments that you can even do through the mail. Some people do uh, phone consultation. Um, some people will, will uh, send you a uh, tremendous amount of forms to fill out and, and little tests to do with your children so they can get a handle on what's going on and, and sort of prescribe a program for you to uh, help them at home. Can you look in the yellow pages if you're no, looking for No, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm going to, um, at some point here in our chat, I do have uh, several websites that, that I'd like to refer your listeners to in terms of uh, testing and program planning. 
But you let me know when the appropriate time for that is. Well, in fact, I suspect that people have a pad of paper that they're taking notes while we talk. Very good. Would well, you like to give those websites now as we go? Oh, that sounds good. In, in terms of um, just educating yourself about um, learning disabilities in general, one, one group that I just find so helpful and so wonderful is a group called Mason. Uh, and they're at www.nathan.com. Uh, it stands for something like National Association of Challenged Homeschoolers. But they deal with all types of learning issues. They have a, their website is really an education in uh, meeting different kinds of learners. Would you spell that again for sure. us? It's www.nathan.com. So Nathan. Com. In fact, Christine, if you could uh, maybe move your mouth closer to the mouthpiece and make yourself just a little bit louder. Okay. I will we, do that. We don't, want, we don't want to miss a word. This is so good. Okay. I will do that. So there is one place, sort of a, a clearinghouse of information. And then there are a couple of private practitioners who I just have found just very, very helpful to deal with. One uh, is going to be on your program, Joyce Herzog. Uh, her website is very easy to recall. It's www.joyceherzog.com. She does um, consultation. She does, I think she does. I think she's still doing phone consultation, and she helps people with curriculum planning. Um, I like her a lot. Uh, another one is Almaden Valley Christian School. This is the gal. Her name is Sharon Hensley. She wrote a book several years ago called Homeschooling Children with Special Needs. She does um, uh, curriculum development and testing uh, for people who are enrolled in her umbrella program. And her website, kind of a long one, is www.almadenvalleychristianschool.com. Ouch. And that is spelled A-L-M-A-D-E-N valleychristianschool.com. So those are just a, just a few of the people that you can start to contact. Uh, now, those are some of my personal favorites. Now, if you want an unbiased recommendation, <laughs> you would go to something like I'm looking for it right here. The um, International Dyslexia Association. Dyslexia is a misleading word, uh, but the, the the group is called the International Dyslexia Association, and their website is www.interdys.org, and they can refer you to reading and learning specialists around the country. The ones, the two that I in particular mentioned have a, a, a Christian perspective. The International Dyslexia Association obviously would be uh, a more um, secular or, you know, non-religious approach to learning and children and parenting. So, so those are just a few things. And um, I'm thinking of doing up a fact sheet on some of this. And if uh, your listeners wanted to email me at the end of this, I could send that out as well. I was just going to ask you that. What are you comfortable giving out your email address? Not a problem. Um, it is. Uh, it's real easy. It's Christine Field at sbcglobal.net. So that's C H R I S T I N E F I E L D at sbcglobal. As S is in Sam, yeah, B is in boy, C is in cat, global dot net. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, sure. No, no, we've only talked about one of the five things we got to talk about, Rebecca. we got to get going here. I know. <laughs> well, in fact, I want to ask you, um, how can you tell when a difference is something to be concerned about? Yeah, I, I think, I think um, 
they're gosh, they're also different. Different, and, and and I think that if your child, oh, let's take a look at the let's take a look at the case of um, attention deficit because some of every parent at one point or another says, oh my gosh, my kid has ADD. <laughs> you know, we all say that at some point, and and I think whether it's ADD or a learning disability. If, if in your dealings with your kids, kind of four factors to look at. If your if your dealings are consistent in your routines and your discipline, and you're really consistent with your kid, that's number one. And if number two, your child knows what to expect, if they know what the game is, they need to sit down and do their schoolwork or do their handwriting or whatever it is. And number three, if you have consequences that you apply regularly and fairly. And number four, if the problem continues then you might have an issue, you know, because a, a lot of what we think of as a school problem or an attention problem sometimes is just a way of relating to your child or their way of asserting themselves and, and uh, their lack of cooperation is their little way of, of, of asserting themselves in the home school that they don't want to... Uh, don't want them, don't want to be who you want them to be, shall we say. We have uh, an interview coming up Thursday, uh, this Thursday at 11 o'clock with two ADHD experts. Oh, wonderful. And as you mentioned, Joyce Herzog is coming up at 1 o'clock Pacific time today. She is a doll. You yeah. are, your, your listeners are just going to enjoy her so much and just a wealth of knowledge. I mean, this lady was a special ed teacher, and so she she really knows the ins and the outs and the, uh, the dotted I's and the cross T's of how to help special needs kids. You know, we're talking about when a difference is something to be concerned about. My um, son... Uh, who, if he was in the school, so he has macular degeneration, uh-huh. which is an eye disease. Uh-huh. And um, if he were in school, my gosh, he'd be labeled special ed, um, you know, couldn't see the blackboard. It would just be a huge deal. But when yeah. we're homeschooling, it's just not a deal. Right, Big it's deal. Not a deal. He can move the books up closer to his eyes. When his eyes get tired, we stop. We listen to audio books. You know, you know we just make those changes to customize his education, which takes something, that, uh, a mountain, and turns it into a molehill. Wonderful. You know, well, can you give us some other um, examples, too? You talk about ADHD, but um, what other times when there's a difference becomes something to be concerned well, about? A huge one is, in my family um, has been personality differences. You know, as an adult, I, I've had to really study personality types, you know, whether that was to get along with people in the workplace or get along with people at church. You know, I really had to kind of have a handle on, on keying into how to relate to people who were different from me. Uh, either because I wanted to motivate them or, or, or what, or whatever. And so it, it just made so much sense to me to use the study of personality differences with my own children so that I could learn how to motivate them and relate to them in a way that was meaningful. I'll give you a couple of examples. One of my daughters is uh, a sanguine. I, I like to look at the Tim and Beverly LaHaye's, uh, they have the, the four personality styles, the sanguine, choleric, melancholy, and phlegmatic. And there's lots of other different personality types. There's the disc, uh, and there's a few other ones. But the, I really like this one. Well, one of my daughters is a sanguine, and she is just such a people person, and she's so cheerful, and she really does intend to do well in her work, right? She, she just, she just, she, she intends to do well. But first, she's the kind of kid she has to clean her room. She's got to take a bunch of phone calls. You know, she sits down and plays the piano. And eventually, at some point in the day, She'll sit down upside down on the couch to do her algebra. <laughs> now, for her, that works. And learning, especially for her, is a is a group activity. If she can be with other kids, she just they just um, that that one on one not not even one on one, but that group contact just seems to invigorate her and inspire her. 
And so homeschooling her is very difficult because she's so outgoing that she needs people. Um, so, so my not keying into that for a long time, um, was, was not helpful in terms of motivating her. And so now she gets out and she's very involved in a drama group and a couple of other things. And these, these things give her an outlet for her sanguine personality so that, you know, then she's a little more willing to cooperate with me at home. Now, another one of my kids, on the other hand, is a choleric, okay? It's a, a whole different personality type. And she wants to do her schoolwork her way, you know? And when I try to get her to do it my way, we clash big time. So I have learned to give her a lot of latitude in how she does her work, but keep accountable that she gets it done. Uh, whereas before, we were constantly, just constantly butting heads because I wanted it done my way. Well, she wants it done her way because she's the, 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 the strong-headed, strong-minded, strong-willed child. And to, for me to give her enough rope to kind of figure out how she would like to do things is very motivating for her. So she responds to that much better than if I tell her what and how to do it. So for me as a mom, especially as a homeschooling mom, it's been so valuable to key into what kind of a kid am I dealing with here because the motivation of, you know, checking an assignment off a chart is not going to work for <laughs> for certain personality types, whereas it might work for other personality types. So which one is your child? Do a little study of it and uh, and use that in your homeschooling to motivate them. How did you learn about these different personality types? Can you recommend a book or a website for oh, us? Oh, yeah. I, re- I read a lot of books. Um, uh, one that I read, which was kind of old, by uh, Tim and Beverly LaHaye, their last name is spelled L-A, capital H-A-Y-E, is called How to Develop Your Child's Temperament. And it was really excellent because it would, you know, went through the four temperaments and showed you how to motivate those type of children. Um, and although the, though the book is a little bit older, it is quite good. The other person, current, a little more current, who deals with personality assessments is Florence Litauer. Um, perhaps your listeners have heard of her. Her last name is spelled L-I-T-T-A-U-E-R. And uh, she actually has a... I think you can buy or for a few dollars or maybe take a personality assessment at her website, which is www.classservices.com. So there was only two S's in there. Yeah, only two S's. Yeah, that's a little strange. I guess, you did, I guess they didn't want to put three together because it would look silly. Okay. That was classservices.com. Right, right. And I believe that's free or it's only a few dollars. And um, I had both of my daughters do that. I had both my older daughters do that. The, the, the younger ones at the time were, were a little bit too young, and I already had a little clue as to what they were. So, But I had my two older daughters take that, and it uh, was very helpful to me. What are some other signs to look for in terms of learning disabilities? Um, uh, well, some of the things, um, some, some things are obvious and some things are not so obvious. Um, hang on, hang on one second. If your child, um, is having, uh, for, for example, visual perceptions, if they don't like to write or they avoid writing, um, they took a long time to learn how to write. If their work just looks messy, you know, and they have a lot of cross outs and things, and if they just can't have a, a visual memory of shapes and letters and numbers, 
uh, and if they confuse similar looking numbers and um, in their math papers, the papers aren't, the numbers aren't lined up very well, uh, they're going to get problems wrong because they're simply just not lined up very well. And, and going back earlier in their childhood, if you can remember a time when maybe they confused their right from their left, uh, these might be things to look at in terms of a visual perception um, problem. They're having trouble in that input stage with visually perceiving what they're seeing. Um, a language or an auditory processing, this might be the child that uh, is delayed in learning to read, maybe was a little bit delayed in learning to speak when they were younger. Uh, they might have trouble naming things in the environment and have a very small vocabulary and really kind of avoid talking very much uh, and, and, and also um, have trouble hearing, have trouble distinguishing sounds. You might say the word, um, uh, let me think of one, fish to them, and they might hear it as dish. Uh, they would have trouble distinguishing those beginning sounds. That might be something to look for in terms of a, a, an auditory processing problem. Now, again, you know, developmentally, children at different stages will exhibit a lot of these things. So just because you see it once is it, not something to be concerned about. It's, it's consistently seeing it over a period of time in your child where it's just something you might want to keep an eye on. So then for diagnosing a learning disability, it's the people you talked about before, the website you gave before. Right. Can help us with this. Or, you, you, know, can, or you can go to your local public school, right? That, that's right. Uh-huh. So let's talk a little bit about an attention disorder because uh, there are many uh, homeschoolers who homeschool their child because they they know instinctively they wouldn't do well in a controlled classroom setting. Yeah. And they need, the, especially young boys, yeah. uh, need a little bit more um, freedom to move around and homeschooling can give them that. I think that's the truth. <laughs> I, I know, really, I know with my, my young son too. I mean, he used to, you know, 10 minutes learning, run around the table, 10 yeah. minutes learning, run around the backyard. And he yeah. grew out of it. He wasn't hyperactive. He did grow out of it. Right, right. And, and what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. And, and we think we know the ADD kid, you know, right? That's the one that's bouncing off the walls and has to run around every 10 minutes. But there's an equally um, pervasive spectrum of ADD or ADHD, as they call it in the literature, where, that involves inattention. You know, this is the child who is the space cadet who um, they can sit still, but they can't, their mind is a million miles away and they cannot focus. Now, my my daughter uh, with ADHD is this part of, of uh, is this type of ADD. She, um, she was sitting doing her math one day and she was crying her eyes out. She was sitting very still in her chair, not a problem there, but she was crying and crying. And I said, what's wrong? And she said that, that the snowflakes outside the window were bothering her. Oh. Um, she has such a high level of distractibility that um, she she had this type of ADHD. Now, typically, that's more common in girls, uh, and the the more hyperactive component is usually more common in boys, um, but but not always. Certainly not always. So we you know we think we know we think we can identify ADHD as the kid bouncing off the walls, but it's not always that way. Uh, it can be the, 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 the very introverted, quiet child who really just cannot pay attention. Uh, many of the things that we did in our home to help her made a huge difference. Um, we got, my husband had uh, really strong, I guess that's the word for it, earmuffs from the shooting range. He's a police officer. 
And so she began to wear her earmuffs when she had to read or concentrate. Mm. It made a huge difference in terms of cutting down the, the auditory distraction for her because that, that was huge. You know, any noise, the fan going, somebody turning on a light in the other room, and she would just uh, become distracted by any kind of noise. And I suppose uh, removing her from the window, too, from the visual distractions? That helped. Uh, one thing that we did for her for a long time was we had one of those tri-fold science poster boards, and she would sit behind this poster board, which, you know, when I first hit it, I felt so bad. I felt, oh, honey, we're just, you know, kind of locking you away in this little study, Carol. But she was grateful because then she wasn't, wasn't looking up and looking around the room and what's her brother uh-huh. doing, what are her sisters doing, you know, <laughs> how fast is the fan going, and <laughs> she wasn't visually distracted. The one child might be claustrophobic with it, and this other child felt um, helped by it. Helped and really is sort of a sense of control over their environment. Uh, So for a while, this poor child was (laughs) behind the poster board with the earmuffs on doing her schoolwork. (laughs) But I I, I praise the Lord because in um, we had her on Ritalin for one year, uh, exactly one school year. Um, Took her off of it for the summer. And when the next school year started, I gave her a few dosages, and she said it gave her a headache, and she said she didn't want to take it this year. And then, so I said, you know, okay, honey, we can try and see how it goes. Well, I'm just, I'm so grateful because that one year that she was on it, she learned enough coping strategies um, and matured neurologically, certainly, but learned enough coping strategies that she really didn't need it the next year. You know, she mm. knows now when she needs to go reach for her earmuffs. You know, she knows when she needs to go in another room. And um, it's it's amazing. Um, she's a different child. Of course, she can take that with her into her adult life as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because now she knows what to do to set herself up for success. And we talk about that with all of our kids. We talk about strategies. And if you encounter this, what are you going to do? Uh, we, we do it with our older kids now that they're getting out into the world and you know, meeting different kinds of kids and different kinds of people and, you know, what are you going to do if you're at a party and someone offers you a beer, you know, um, and, and equipping them with strategies because yeah. we're not, we can't be with them all the time. I had a, um, my son who, um, if he was around people too much, he would just lose it, mm-hmm. especially when he was younger. So he had to learn that he just needed more quiet time. He's an introvert. Yeah. So uh-huh. he would have to get away, like listen to tapes in the car for a little while, leave a party for a little while, have you know, sit quietly on the swing, listen to a book on tape for a while, and then come back in. Yeah, you know, so, it's what feeds your soul. Yeah, you know, me as an adult, it's I'm I'm kind of a split personality, and half the time I need to be around people, and the other half of the time I just I need to be alone. Otherwise, I just I get so cranky and irritable. But you talk about the personalities too. I have a good friend who derives her energy from being out with a group. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, we came back and we'd had a big day and I was, we were both tired. So to rev up, she wanted to go out and be with people to recharge and I needed to just, you know, watch a movie by myself. Right. To recharge. Right. So it's kind of nice respecting those differences too. And like you said, developing and understanding our coping strategies. Yeah, it is. And, it, and that's, that's helpful for your marriage relationship too. My husband and I, um, learned a lot. Uh, uh, we've been married almost 20 years, but we've learned a lot about, about respecting how the other person processes stress. Because um, to have the expectation that every Friday night we'd go visit friends or go to a movie or something, and <laughs> one of us is exhausted on Fridays and the other one is raring to go. <laughs> oh yeah. So, so there's a uh, uh, lot to be said for respecting individual differences. Now, do you have any suggestions, Christine, on who can help diagnose attention disorder? Uh, that has to be um, a psych um, a psychologist. 
or uh, a medical doctor. Yes, and as I mentioned, we're interviewing Dr. Frank Barnhill. He's one of the most um, highly recognized physicians in the United States oh, wow. on yeah. this. So we'll find out. I wish I had his resources right here. I would, I would say them on this recording to this audience as well. But so he's coming up Thursday at 11 o'clock. Yeah. I've had good luck with howtolearn.com as well. Oh, yeah. With uh-huh. Pat Wyman, you know, about giving uh, coping strategies and uh-huh. helping children adjust their learning styles. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What other uh, resources would you suggest? Well, the one that, that uh, I point everyone to is CHAD, Children and Adults with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, and it's www.chadd.org. And it's just a real clearinghouse for information about ADHD, articles, referrals, um, that type of thing. Is it only for adults? No, it's adults and children. Okay, chadd.org. Right. Well, that's excellent. Yes. And um, what we did was we, when we were having we were having issues with our our daughter who has um, ADHD as well as a learning disability, we did we did a two pronged approach with her. We took her to the school district for an evaluation for her learning disabilities, and then we went to a, um, a Christian psychologist that we knew here in town and uh, had her evaluated for the ADHD. And it seems if a Christian psychologist, if they're or if the psychologist is good, it's going to be more than a ten-minute interview. <laughs> you know, this guy saw saw her for a session, saw us individually for a session, meaning he saw me for a session, saw my husband for a session, and then saw us all as a family for a session before he would actually diagnose ADHD because he felt, especially in her case, it was she just a shy, retiring little girl, or did she really have an issue? And, Christine, we're losing you volume-wise. Would you mind kind of screaming into your phone? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I scream all day, and I, I don't know. <laughs> it's because there's so many people on the line. Yeah, yeah. But just if you wouldn't mind, just talk really, really loudly because we don't want to miss a word. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to finish up that thought that we, we consulted a, a psychologist who did a, a very, very thorough evaluation for ADHD. I would be, I would really be leery if I, if I took my uh, child to say my family doctor and um, she talked to her for for five or ten minutes and said oh yeah she's got ADD here's some drugs I, oh. I would be very very suspicious of that and would 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 pursue that diagnosis a, a lot more cautiously than that well that's good advice thank you now you talked a little bit about personality differences would you like to add to that in any way um no not no that's um that'll do it that'll do it <laughs> the other area that can cause you to feel like your child is different is that of learning styles, you know. Uh, um, and I know you're going to have someone on, I think, even tomorrow to talk about learning styles. But um, no, In fact, that's today. Today from today? 2 to 3 with okay. Mary Emma Willis. Very good, yeah. And and obviously, there sometimes there could be a major clash between the child's learning style and the parent's teaching style. You know, I'll give you an example. One mom that I know used this... Um, this real workbook-based curriculum for, for three of her kids, or two of her kids, and it worked great. They were both girls, and so they would kind of dutifully work in the workbooks. And then when it came time for her little kinesthetic boy to, to do his schoolwork, he just, you know, flipped out. He couldn't handle the workbook approach. He, he wasn't going to stand for it. Uh, so his learning style was obviously not that visual kind of, of style that would, that would do well with the workbook. But he was more of a kinesthetic kid. So it really pays to study your child. Is he predominantly visual, auditory, or kinesthetic? You know, those are the three major ones. Um, do they take information in predominantly by looking at it and studying it and then they've got it? 
or do they have to hear it? Uh, do they have to hear their math facts sung uh, in a song form, and then they and then they click with it? Or are they kinesthetic? Are they the kind of kids that you have to get the Play-Doh out and they have to actually make the shapes of the letters before they can learn them? And that really pays to, to study your child. And and even when you know your child's style, um, it, it, it just makes so much sense to vary your homeschool lessons so that whatever your child's learning style is, they're exposed to, to all ways of learning so they can develop other aspects of themselves. Um, and it just makes so much sense to do that because when our children are in college or if they go to high school or in the workplace, they're going to be exposed to having to learn information in all kinds of different ways. So even if your kid is predominantly a kinesthetic learner, they're going to have to deal with the visual auditory world. So while they're young, to expose them, but but to try to play to their strengths as much as possible, uh, but to let them see that the world does not necessarily match their learning style is a, it's an important thing, I think. So acknowledging their strengths, but helping them adjust to get along in the world, especially taking visual skills like test-taking skills. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I just saw the neatest thing. I, I, um, I do product reviews for the Old Schoolhouse magazine, and I had an opportunity to uh, see uh, Diana Waring's new ancient history curriculum. I, I, I was so impressed with this because she has a real appreciation for differences in learning styles. And so uh, she she sent me the first volume of this history curriculum. And for each period of history studied, she suggests, she suggests projects and things to do that will appeal to each learning style. And I thought, well, what a... What a refreshing approach to history, you know, instead of, well, let's all uh, read a textbook or let's all make sure we're building aqueducts and salto maps. That doesn't help the visual learner, uh, the just doing completely hands-on stuff. So I thought she did a beautiful job in that uh, history curriculum of, of, of having something for all styles of learning so that your child can be strengthened in all those styles. What was the name of that history curriculum again? Oh, gosh, it's on the shelf out there. Okay. Uh, I, I can tell you Diana's website is dianawaring.com, D-I-A-N-A-W-A-R-I-N-G.com. Okay. And I think it's Ancient, ancient Civilizations and the Bible, I think is what it's called. But she just did a fabulous job of it. You know, the unit studies approach is also very respectful of different learning styles. Mm -hmm. We were uh, speaking with Valerie Bent, who's mm -hmm. the author of Unit Studies Made Easy. And at the end of a, a unit, for example, on dinosaurs, you know, you've all studied dinosaurs. One child may show what they learn by, by writing a play about dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Another one may put together a diorama. Another one may put together one of those three-fold um, science backgrounds, like you said. Mm -hmm. Another one may get up and give a speech. So that's really a nice way, too. They're so lucky in homeschooling that children can show what they know in different ways. Isn't that wonderful? I um, uh, I could never imagine doing any of those things when I was in school. <laughs> if it wasn't in a paper and if it didn't have some Latin in it, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been acceptable. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. You didn't get to do a lot of dioramas except in kindergarten and that's Catholic right. school. <laughs> I think I'm dating myself here. but <laughs> well, I, just, I have you know one more question for you, Christine, before we open up the call. I want to talk a little bit about discipline issues. Yeah. I mean, because discipline issues in the home can certainly cause problems. So how can we handle discipline uh, in the home school? Well, I think we as parents, I take no pride in this, but I think we've made every mistake in the book. Um, at times we've been too harsh. Um, sometimes we've been too lenient. 
Uh, we've been too inconsistent. And um, there have been just, gosh, there have just been a number of times when we've had to repent to our kids. We've had to repent of our shortcomings. Um, but it, but it's such a fundamental principle that you can't teach a child who won't listen to you, right? Right. And, um, I, and of course, I, we're not perfect and we've never been parents before. Right. Oh, yeah. And, then, and now that I have a teenager, I'm like, whoa, I've never had a teenager before. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I hear anecdotally, I hear many parents just becoming so discouraged not because of academics, but because of discipline. Uh, and it can just be so discouraging when your child is not responding to your guidance and your discipline. I can just remember so many times when we um, would spank our child with the learning disability before we knew what was going on with her. But I would it was my practice. I would I would spank her and then we would pray together and I would say something like, you know, Dear Jesus, help Gracie to obey and one time she just came right back at me and said, Dear Jesus, help mommy to not be so mean to me. Um, yeah. And it just, it just, uh, it broke my heart because I didn't know what was going on in this child. You thought that she was being willful and stubborn. Right. And really she just couldn't cope. She right. was just couldn't right. sit still. And, and what I learned from that was that discipline is about relationships. Um, you know, it's not how, how many rules you have, how many times you're going to spank for this infraction. Uh, it's about relationship. And when, when you look at Jesus, you know, and look at how he related to people. He listened to them. He, he drew them close to him. He saw the best in them, but he didn't hesitate to point out the worst in them as well. Uh, and, and what a way to relate to people. Even if you're going to chastise them, first you draw them closer to you. And I think, you know, if you've got several children in your family and if you're having trouble with, with one of them, you've, you've really got to uh, spend time and connect with that difficult child, even if it's just hard and, and uncomfortable. You know, because sometimes when we have a difficult child, the temptation is we don't, we don't want to deal with them. Uh, you know, we want relief from that child when what that situation is really calling out is for us to invest even more time with that difficult child, uh, and that can be a huge challenge for parenting because that can be very hard and very uncomfortable. And making sure as parents, too, that we don't get too tired or too stressed out because how can we respond at our best when we're exhausted? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I know I've made some of my, my worst parenting decisions and actions when I've just been too tired to cope. Yeah, yeah, so. uh, and, and, uh, and the child gets the brunt of that. So, so, so I want to reiterate that it's about, you know, it's about relationships. It's about, not about how to, how many times to spank. Although, you know, there's nothing wrong with spanking. A lot of people use spanking very effectively. Some people use token systems or rewards and punishments or contracts. And those are all very important things. But it's about relationships. It's about drawing them near to us so we can relate on a heart to heart level so that we can really discipline them in the true sense of the word and to teach them what's important in life. Uh, and and uh, if we don't draw them near as we discipline them and teach them, we're going to end up pushing them away and alienating them. And they're not going to learn our values. They're not going to learn our faith. Uh, and they're not going to be too crazy about us homeschooling them either. So um, I've learned that the hard way. Um, we had a, a lot of trouble with one of our, our children as a teenager and um, we we nearly drew, drove her away with our um, expectations, and uh, you know she wasn't the she wasn't the the jumper wearing cross stitching homeschool kid, 
but she's a wonderful child. But I was looking at her through eyes that, that were not Christ-like and, um, and uh, really damaged our relationship. And it's taken me a lot of, lot of repair work on that. Uh, and it's, it's going well, but um, the challenges and the difficulty that, she, that we faced with her were because we were pushing her away and disciplining her instead of drawing her close and trying to disciple her. So there's a huge difference there. Uh, and uh, so important in a homeschooling family because they if they don't listen to you, you can't teach them anything. We had two interviews yesterday on this topic that were just really inspiring. Uh, one of them was with uh, Barb Shelton about oh, yeah. a God's eye view of education. Oh, she's wonderful. Excellent. And then we interviewed uh, Wally Famous Amos, and I had never heard him speak before. Really? I had goosebumps. Yeah, how to motivate your kids to become lifelong learners. Wow. So, of course, we've missed the live call on those, but it's available in the recordings and really worthwhile. Oh, I might have to check those out. Oh, yes. I'm going to try to put them up, figure out some way I can put them on the website, too, so that people can listen to them from their computers. Wonderful. Boy, this is just such an incredible information, Christine. Such a terrific interview. Do you mind if we um, open up the call and take some questions? Oh, I would love to. Okay. So, callers, if you would, uh, stay in mute mode, star six. And then come out of mute mode, push star six again to ask your question. And then I'll come into the lecture mode. I'll repeat the question, and then we can listen to Christine's answer. So here we go. First question, please, or comment or suggestion. We're talking with Christine Field about homeschooling the different learner. I can hear that someone is trying to come out of mute mode to ask a question. Go ahead. We can hear you a little bit. Are any of you um, homeschooling children that you're having some challenges with? I mean, this is an excellent opportunity to speak with uh, Christine, kind of one-on-one, one-on-one on 100 <laughs> consultation. Okay, I want to. Oh, thank you. And we can hear you fine now. Go Yay, ahead. Somebody's speaking. Yay. I know. It takes a lot of courage. And it's total anonymity, too, which is really nice. Yeah, well, I feel like I speak a lot. So, um <laughs> I re- this really hit home with me, this last uh, thing you were talking about. <clears throat> uh, sorry. <laughs> How we can, you know, disciplining our, our children, not pushing them away and drawing them closer. I really, this just hit, hit the spot for me, and I'd like to have more information on that. I, what you've said so far has really been awesome, and I've tried to do that. And I think that my 11-year-old is the one that I'm having that uh, challenge with. Yeah. And uh, just is it, is it a boy or a girl? The boy. Uh-huh. And and from an early age, he's 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 very intelligent. But his younger brother and sister could boy just get things like that. And if it, and at first he was saying, "Oh, that's really neat. He got that really quick." But after a while, he was saying, "Man, what's wrong with me?" Uh-oh. And now it's and I really didn't. I never wanted him to see that or, or say that. But now um, he just wants to fight me and do it his way, and so I want to find out how I can, you know, and disciplining him, forget it. <laughs> uh. I don't, I, I, you know, there's so many, I, I can relate to everything you said. Uh-huh. How can we, you know, have been too harsh, too lenient, too, you know, uh, too inconsistent, and yeah. don't, I cannot figure out the best way to work with him. So I think that drawing him near to me and really, boy, I'm a homeschool single mom and I work. So I'm trying to oh, change yeah. so that I can really be with him and them individually and, and, and really, you know, he thinks I love them more than him and, 
you know, there's the whole nine yards of he collects evidence for that, and oh. it's, it's like it's not true. It, in in what ways does he want to do things his way? Um. Well, now it's just if I ask him to do it, anything or want, yeah, I, you know what? We haven't homeschooled all summer, so yeah, I'm. Uh, let's see. It, it has to be his idea. Yeah. What what are what's important to him? What are things that are important to him that he has a passion for or about? Oh, drama. Uh huh. Drama, really drama. He he. His brother reads. He doesn't say. I don't want to read. I don't like to read. I love to play. He loves to play. Uh huh. I mean, he's eleven, and that's okay. But he's very theatrical. I don't have him in any drama. But my children are in all in ballet, which is really he loves to act. Uh huh. Is he in ballet as well? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is, there, is there an opportunity, like a children's drama group at church? Not, No, not at church. Uh-huh. You know, anything that, right now, anything is going to cost me money that I, that's, you know. Right. Just, you know. We've just, we've just found it so helpful, um, and it, it sounds, it sounds, uh, I don't like the way this sounds, but uh, to have sort of bargaining chips with our kids. You know, they aren't, they aren't, I mean, let's face it, they aren't passionate about their schoolwork all the time. Sometimes it's just what they have to do. Sometimes they are passionate about it, and those are certainly golden moments, but when it's something that they just kind of have to do, um, we really have to sort of use bargaining chips to motivate them. And, and um, I like, you can look at it as a bargaining chip or a consequence, but um it's just so helpful to say, well, you know, school is your priority, and if that's not done, then there will be no ballet. Mm-hmm. Or school is your priority, and if that's not done, then there will be no fort building out in the gar- out in the yard or mm-hmm. playing Legos or whatever it is that your child is passionate about or likes. I tried a reward system that really started out to work well, and he, you know, he used to like he used to like workbooks. I had it all spelled out. I had a workbook for each of them, which was really, you know, interesting. But I had it all uh, divided, and he knew, you know, he'd go from section to section doing his work. Uh-huh. Get up in the morning and have everything order, ordered and orderly and organized, and he'd do, mark off his little checklist. He loved to do that. Uh-huh. I don't know why he doesn't love to do that anymore. It sounds like he's become discouraged. Because, like you said, the the other two uh, underneath him are are reading and are bright and and articulate, and he's used to being the top banana for that. So it sounds like he's become discouraged. Is is there something about him that's just so special that you could really highlight with him? That's one thing. And the second thing is to call him, call upon him to be in more of a leadership role in the family. Um, I've done that with my oldest daughter, who, who who I've had significant problems with. I've called upon her to be a leader in the family, to read to the other children, to help the other children with their math, to show them, you know, what being a teenager can be, or what, you know, what being an 11-year-old can be to the younger children. Uh, and in that way, you know, call him out, call out his best qualities, because it sounds like he's become discouraged at uh, the fact that someone else in the family might be as smart or smarter than him. Okay. Um, so just just some thoughts there. You know, sit down and talk to him. Ask him why he's discouraged. Um, you know, kids will tell you. They may not be able to articulate it, but they'll 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 tell you in one way or the other what's going on. 
I think I need to lighten up too because his his interest is in things I'm going. No, not that. Yeah. I'm thinking. I, I got that from this from this uh, call. Okay, just you know, see what works for them and and encourage it and and, and reward it and. Yeah. And even if you can't totally indulge an in interest, you know, like you can't take your child to New York to be on Broadway, you can indulge it in small ways. You know, have them do a play with the kids in the house or the kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, he loves to be the director, so. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to do, but, boy, what, what you're doing for that child's um, confidence uh, could pay huge dividends in other ways in terms of greater cooperation with schoolwork. Yeah, I think I'm getting to a point where it doesn't have to look a certain way, and it doesn't matter what it looks like to others. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good for you. God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming out and asking your question. It really adds to the experience for everyone. I know it takes a lot of courage, and we're very grateful for it. Thank you. So, Christine, before we sign off, would you please uh, give us once again your email address and your website address? And I want to uh, read off the titles of those books again because I, I think our listeners will be interested in those as well. Okay. So uh, what is your uh, website address? Uh, the website is called www.homefieldadvantage.org. Um, I can spell that H-O-M-E-F-I-E-L-D, Advantage, A-D-V-A-N-T-A-G-E dot org. And um, actually one of my kids thought of that name because we we're, were trying to think of something that would encompass how we felt about family living and the, the way we feel about education and family living and training and faith and values is that, you know, you give your children a home field advantage in life and uh, that's a huge blessing to them. So, so that's the website. And then the email, um, and if anyone wants to um, have a printed copy of those resources that we talked about, I'd be happy to send that out uh, via email uh, if they send me an email at Christine Field. Uh, all one word, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-F-I-E-L-D at sbcglobal.net. Um, so uh, if anyone's interested in that, be happy to do that right away. Now, you speak at a lot of homeschooling conferences. If any of our listeners have a local homeschooling group, can they contact you about that as well? Yes, they certainly can. Um, I've had a, I've had an interesting summer. I've been facing some illness this summer. Um, so I've been, I've slowed down a little bit, but, um, hopefully that's, that's going to be resolving itself. So yes, absolutely. I enjoy that very much. I just want to repeat the titles of your books too, and these are available. From homefieldadvantage.org? They are. There are two that are out of print now, I think, but I do have some copies left. But yes, uh huh. Okay, so coming home to raise your child, mm -hmm. should you adopt a field guide to homeschooling, life skills for kids, help for the harried homeschooler, and your newest book, Homeschooling the Challenging Child. Yep, that's it. The last book, it, it's, um, it, it, it would seem to treat a lot of things, a broad uh, variety of topics, uh, maybe too many topics. But my goal was, if you're having a trouble with a challenging child or a difficult child, um, to, to have an idea of which areas to look at. Uh, if you don't even know, you know, if you have no inkling of what a learning disability looks like or what ADHD looks like or that there are different learning styles, different personalities, um, my goal was to, to give parents a, a, an overview, a broad brush of areas that might be causing the challenge or might be causing the difficulty that they could then take and delve further into and really get at the, 
the core, get at the heart of uh, the issue of why their child is challenging or difficult. So a good starting spot. Yes. Right. Well, thank you. We're going to take a five-minute break. Normally, we take ten minutes, but it was such good information, Christine. I didn't want to uh, cut the call short. We're going to take a five-minute break, and then we're going to come back and speak with Bobby DePorter about test-taking strategies for a test-crazy world. So, uh, callers, if you would, come out of mute mode and join me in saying a thank you and goodbye to our guest this last hour, Christine Field. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 